Barum is relationships. Barum is you and me and everyone in America. What are you talking about? Uh, the room is different cookie cutter mm -hmm. from Hollywood. Yeah, man, you never know. People are very strange these days. What's going on? Welcome to The Room Minute. The podcast where we get obsessed with the cinematic classic, The Room. One minute at a time. You have no idea what kind of trouble you're in here, do you? Why are you so hysterical? We always wanted people actually talk about it. I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, hi, Allison. Oh, hi, Rob. Oh, hi, listeners. We're here to talk about Minute 78 of The Room, in which champagne is a slippery slope to drugs, Denny. So stop it. We're at Johnny's final birthday party, of course. They just finished singing Happy Birthday. And now we get a bunch of random bits of conversation and dialogue that isn't very good, which really describes a lot of the film. Yep. Uh, cheers, everybody. Cheers. Oh, hi, Johan. <laughs> cheers. Uh, now, if Denny were played by an actual teenager, the moment between him and Johnny here would be kind of cute. Of him, like, wanting to get champagne, and Johnny's like, no, you can have some later. Yeah. Later. Later. Yes. <laughs> but with him played by yeah, a dude who looks like he's in his 30s, it's weird. Yeah, because he... How old is he when he filmed this? I think he's 30-something. He's older than everyone else except for Carolyn and Tommy. Yeah, so it just looks so weird how they still treat him like a child at the same time. Like, it doesn't pass off. Like, I understand he kind of has a baby face. You look like a baby face, huh? Because it's clean-shaven, but it's it's not following through. Well, on... he's born in 77, so he's actually Jeez. only... 42 He's not now. 30 yet at the time they're filming this. Yeah, but he still doesn't look like but he's he looks... under 21. Right. right. He's supposed to be 18-ish, the character. He's not that. Hmm. He looks like that friend that you'd always ask to buy alcohol for you because it looks like he can pass <laughs> he off. Looks yeah. Yeah. But everybody seems like they're really awkward trying to create this moment. Hey, great. You guys prefer Yeah. Keep going. Okay. Thanks a lot again. Thank you. Thanks. Hey. I found it in the book. These extras were, as Greg puts it, tantalized with a guarantee of $100 a day plus food. That was what Tommy said he wanted. A hundred extras and lots of balloons. And Greg managed to get eight extras total. And Tommy only paid them $20 a day with no food. Jeez. The first one to show up was Piper. She's one of them who's in this scene. Let's see which one is she. I figured it out. She's the one with the long, dark hair. She told Greg after she met Tommy that her first thought when she saw him was, run away right now, Piper, or you're going to be killed. <laughs> but she decided to take the job anyway. <laughs> and so she is in the party scene. I don't know if this was like a choice by the actress who played Lisa, hmm. but like second five, she does this moment where she looks up at Mark kind of dreamily. I figured that's actually a good choice at this point. Yeah. It's very subtle. Yeah. It's not good on Mark's part, though, because Greg just does not care yeah. about this scene. Mm -hmm. If you watch when the camera's a little closer a few seconds later, Greg is, he's done. <laughs> it's like they're having conversations. He does—he's He was tired of this movie at this point. It was, over, it was yeah. shooting for too long. He was having fights with Tommy often. He didn't want to be there. 
Yeah, that look on his face. He's still trying to mouth the you know dialogue like he's talking to people, but knows what he's doing. It looks like when you get invited to an ex's family gathering <laughs> because a grandma or you want to pretend that to the grandma that you're still together. Yeah. That's what it feels like to him. He's just like, like yeah, I still love her. <laughs> so when you get married, hey, did you make this? <laughs> like he really looks like he's ruining stuff by being there. Well, that's not wrong, but it's not what he's supposed to be playing. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, yeah, we get the exchange between Johnny and Denny about champagne, because Denny didn't get any. And yeah. Johnny offers him his. Yeah. Can I drink this one? Oh, yeah, later. 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 Yes. <laughs> and Denny says something. I'm not sure what. And Johnny tells him later. Then we get a shot of, because we haven't had enough establishing shots yet, we get a shot of San Francisco skyline. And when we come back to the party, we're, uh, well, Denny got some champagne, I guess, because he's got his own glass. There's pretzels on the table. We get a shot of a couple of the extras having a conversation. And then we see that Johnny and Claudette actually get along really well. They're sitting on the couch talking. And then Mark just really doesn't care. No, he's off by himself on a chair by the wall. Yeah. Greg doesn't care, and Mark is, uh, I don't know, feeling extra so we had a close to 20 seconds of establishing shot in this minute of san francisco <laughs> well we have to know that it's night even oh, though we already knew it was night and also san francisco we the three minutes we've had has had establishing shots yes so, so we definitely know this is san francisco that's important we could easily have a minute and a half of establishing shots in the three minutes we covered this one <laughs> <sighs> Just edit together all the establishing shots. Take out everything else. From it'd movie. be a it'd be a pretty lengthy movie, pretty long. I think. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. So Johnny and Claudette are talking. We'll hear more from their conversation next next minute. Lisa is talking to someone. We won't know who yet. Stephen. Wait. So at the forty nine second mark, the two extras. Yeah. The one on the right is that's Piper, the longer brown hair. Yes. And then who's the the blonde? She's another extra, correct? Let's see. Curly blonde hair. I figured out. I think I figured out who each one was, except for one. I had an extra name, and I'm like, she must be someone on the roof. That's not the blue dress, right? No. That's no. A black dress. So it's not Carrie McDermott. It's probably Jennifer Vanderbleek. Okay. One of the extras. I just want to point out that they are the only two people that genuinely seem to be enjoying this party. <laughs> well, yeah. They seem to be having an actual conversation. Yeah. Doing their job. Yeah. It sucks. They only got paid 20 bucks for this. Well, they do have something in their glasses. Yeah. <laughs> they may not have gotten food, but they got drink. Yeah. Um, Although it could just be watered down apple juice or something. Yeah. That wouldn't surprise me, which would taste disgusting. Yeah. But you don't want them drinking actual champagne on multiple takes. Yeah, but you... If there's multiple takes. Yeah, you just get cider and then you just have a bunch of it. Yeah. But that costs money. Yeah. <laughs> Has any of them actually drank from it? Um, I think other than Tommy and maybe Denny, I don't know if we see anyone take a drink. And I'm not sure if we see anyone take a drink this minute. Like the the scene where they're cheering, like they're doing their cheers and stuff like that. I see them put like, it, it comes close to their mouth, but they don't actually drink right, it. Right, because like watching talking up. to Denny. It cuts right as he's got it up by his mouth. Yeah, it's like a beer commercial on TV. Like you don't show anybody actually drinking it. So Tommy and Claudette, no. He just has it close to his mouth. Piper and Jennifer, no. No one's actually drinking it. On the couch, Tommy's just holding it again while he talks. Yeah. And sets it down. Yeah. No one's drinking. No. Maybe it's champagne. Well, actually, since Johnny has problems with alcohol, maybe there shouldn't be champagne. Yeah. Oh, good point. He hit me. He's going to get violent if he drinks. Oh, wait. (laughs) He's going to get violent soon, so I guess it is real. Yeah. 
So like it's a trap for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they want him to rage out on his birthday and everybody see it. Lisa got out the real champagne for this one. Yeah. She knows what's what. <laughs> From the chair and alcohol storage. Yes. Wasn't that what we were calling it? Uh-huh. Chair and alcohol storage room. <laughs> yep. Notes from Midnight Screening. Notes from a Midnight Screening. When we get the really long shot of the skyline of San Francisco, we get later that night. And then because the camera's moving, audience goes, go, 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 go. <laughs> when we come back into the room and the shot of the pretzels, you got to scream focus because as it rises, fast marquee's blurry in the background. Yeah, I get that. When we get to the shot of the two extras talking, she's like, who are you? Because we don't know these people. But we linger on them talking. We could have seen Mike. Well, we do see Mike and Michelle talking, I think, next minute and playing with food, which is nice. But we just get extra people we don't know because we need new characters at this point in the film. Yeah. Which we'll get one. It's weird because when Danny walks up with that glass. Yeah. Like the point of focus is that glass. And that's why Mark is so fuzzy in the background. Right. Like it really seems like they were they're tracking that glass. But but you don't pass up Mark. Who's a lead? Yeah. Without pulling focus, so we can see him for a moment. Yeah. They they couldn't. There's no payoff to that glass. No. So why would you focus? I guess the glass itself is payoff for the conversation from before the skyline shot because Denny wanted alcohol. Now he's got some. <laughs> that sigh was great. <laughs> yeah. I'm just wondering, like, is there? I guess this is like reading into Shakespeare, and you're trying to find the symbolism and everything. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, like. If that glass continues to be empty before Johnny dies, like it's some sort of timer because <laughs> it's going down. But that would have to be confirmed in the later minutes. Yeah, because it, it makes no sense. Like why? It's well, that shot, that shot makes no sense. That comes down to we have a new director of photography who just took over a few scenes ago. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? This is when he comes in. He came in after Peter left. And so it's only been a few scenes. Oh, God. <laughs> and so it's just him doing stuff that the other DPs didn't do. I mean, if we'd gotten shots like this throughout the movie, it wouldn't be that weird. Yeah. But this one time, oh, let's follow this glass across the room. And it feels different. Yeah. Because it feels like sometimes these uh, directors are just, they're beaten down to the point they're just doing whatever Johnny says. And they do the best job they could on Johnny's notes or Tommy's notes. Yeah. And that just makes no sense because it feels like something that would be written in the script that makes no point. And it feels like everything about this movie already. Yeah. Just uh, follow that glass that Denny has. And he goes, why? Which, as, as I said, if we'd done things like this before, followed certain objects around or followed the flowers or the dress. Mm-hmm. But we never got any shots like that before. This, Of course, this is also the same director who didn't show us that Mark was carrying a bag of food. Yeah. Even though that's why he came over, was to drop off food. In the movie, you cannot tell that. You have to put it together based on what happened before he walks in and what happens after he leaves. Yeah, because this movie was filmed chronologically through the... Mostly, yeah. yeah. So that's where my head kind of goes, because you would think that you would film certain things based on the availability, etc. Yes. Not in the order of the film. That's the normal way to do it, yeah. Yeah. So that's why I keep getting thrown off that there's a different director of photography that's inside this room versus the other one, when it should make more sense that the one who was filming inside the room would have filmed all of them. So the one that was outside wasn't horrible, but now he's inside and it makes no sense Yeah, because it feels like a different director. Yeah. And it is. And it's, it makes absolutely no sense why you'd film it in this order. Because that means, because this, this is filmed in LA, technically, correct? Yes. The, the room. So they went to San Francisco and then came back to film this part? No. The establishing shots were all shot. The San Francisco stuff was all filmed after. 
that was a separate trip after they'd filmed everything in LA. No, I mean like where Mark and Tommy are throwing the football in the park. No, that was filmed when they went to San Francisco. That was added. Okay, okay. Yeah. It would have been this director of photography, but it was later. Yeah. Because it, like, it's just weird to make try and see, like, why would that make sense? Like, okay, we're filming here, we're filming here. Or we're going to San Francisco film this establishing shot, then we come back. Because <laughs> like, I wouldn't put it past that that would be Tommy's mindset. Yeah. So Including the backgrounds for the green screen around the roof was all when they went up to San Francisco after production was over. Ah, yeah. Which is why so much of it is just useless, because it is unrelated to the action. Yeah, it's just so weird the way it's filmed. Like, that's where I'm kind of, like, why, like, that's why I was going, like, why does this shot seem like it's filled completely different? Yeah, it's a, it's a new DP showing off. Yeah. Because the thing with the DPs also is when they, when each of them started, they would do interesting things, probably. They would try stuff. And then they would be told by Tommy to do normal stuff and do, like, do what he wanted. This one hasn't gotten there yet. Yeah. And he's been warned by Sandy Chaclair that the movie sucks. So he knows yeah. what's what. He's just going to do what yeah. he's going to do. I mean, you can't really go against that comment because it's very, very true. <laughs> well, Sandy Chaclair was making sure. Yeah. Which, the more I watch this movie or hear people talk about, like, Tommy was so, like, deliberately made a bad movie. I'm like, no, Sandy Chaclair deliberately made a bad movie because he knew it was a horrible script. Yeah. Tommy was trying to make something good. He just wasn't good at it yeah because when i mean when you're at that level of professionalism and you take a paycheck mm-hmm. there's going to be a portion where you realize like this oh my god this is a waste of my time yeah and i'm not saying that like in a way that to disparage this guy for his decision because we've all done that mm-hmm. you get that crap job that makes no sense you only half-ass it you don't put your entire effort well, and they were essentially the equivalent of indentured servants. They owed money to Burns and Sawyer, and so they were paying off debt by working for the guy who was paying Burns and Sawyer a bunch of money. And so the first one, on the day that his contract, I think it was 30 days, mm-hmm. quit, he he was done. He quit. That makes sense. And so then the next one was on. And then he kind of got fired slash quit, and then the third one was on. But these are all people that owed Burns and Sawyer money. They took this job because they had to. See, that all makes sense. Yeah. And then Sandy Chaclair specifically is like, I see this horrible script. I see the bad acting. I'm going to play up as much of that as I can. And so he's the one who made it deliberately bad. Tommy was just trying something. It's just there was no motivation as well to try and make it good. Not from anyone who was in charge, no. Tommy had the motivation, but not the ability. The crew had the ability, but not the motivation. It's a bad combo. And you see so many unhappy people in front of you based on one guy. Yeah. You're not going to do your best. Right. So. His best friend and his character's best friend at this point has tuned out. Yeah. So no one's going to care anymore. Because at this point, this is where they also try and ask Greg Sestero to talk to Tommy. And then if he's quit, then you're kind of done at that point as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if the one person that can communicate with him doesn't even want to communicate with him. Right. We're lucky we get a fancy shot of the camera following a glass. Someone was trying to do something interesting. And soon we're going to get Steven coming in and talking about nuclear bombs. And it's going to be amazing. Okay. <laughs> it kind of, right now it feels like it sucks. I'm not going to be there for that. <laughs> that actually sounds weird, but amazing. Do you not remember his line? No, I don't. No, I, I really he don't. He feels like he's sitting on an atomic bomb and it's about to go off. I feel like I'm sitting on an atomic bomb waiting for it to go off. That's what he compares the Lisa, Johnny, Mark triangle to. Oh. It's great. <laughs> it's going to be wonderful. That'll be in a few minutes once they're up on the roof. 
<sighs> All right. But yeah, it's it's we're getting toward the end. This is Johnny's last night. We got to party inside, party outside, and then doom. Yay. Oh, but it's Friday. It's Friday, Friday. I know it. It all sounds like some bad movie. We're supposed yep. to talk about other bad movies, but I don't think I have any. I peaked a few weeks ago with things. Yeah, I've been, well... Yeah, you've you've definitely been on tear on bad movies. <laughs> Rise of the Chupacabras. I know it wasn't very good, but I'll mention it because every time the monster came on the screen, I just laughed because it was so pathetic. So if you can't think of one, may I propose a question to you? Yeah. What bad movie have you seen probably didn't deserve it if it had better production? Like it, it's bad, but you're just like, oh, if they had to write this or to write that, it would have been a better turnout. It's a really stupid idea, but I think Ghost Shark 2 is almost like that with Juliet Daniels in mm-hmm. at the end of it. Because it, it was genuinely entertaining. It was just a stupid idea. And so the visual was always dumb every time the shark was on screen. Because it's this ghost of a shark that flies around in the air. Yeah. Which is dumb. But a monster that flies around in the air and attacks people is a great setup. Yeah. And it's better than a lot of other shark movies. And it's way better than Shark Exorcist, which I've talked about on the show before. <laughs> <sighs> that movie because i was thinking about that and that's how it came across the movie i'm going to talk about is what bad movie didn't get its due based on the production it had Mm. and it's masters of the universe oh yeah i don't even think that's a bad movie it is it's it's even it's worse than it should have been yes but it's got production value it's got actors trying to do their jobs well it's an 80s movie so it's like oh yeah we're on another planet but to save money we're going to be on earth for 90 percent of the film yes and it, it was film. It, I know there was a documentary about it, but the mm-hmm. guys who who did this were the same ones that did Break Into Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, but like they could have stayed a little bit closer to the cartoon to make it feel a little bit better as far as what they had. What was the name of that little? There was that that little monster. Was it Gwildor? Gwildor. Yeah. Like what the hell was that? Like as a kid, I wanted Orko, and I got that. Right. Do a new character. Right? Yeah, nowadays you can actually create a production where you can have a floating Orko. Mm-hmm. Isn't someone making a Masters of the Universe movie? Right now it seems like... I don't know how the production is because everything's ceased right now, but... Yeah, supposed yeah to be it fun. seems like it's been in production hell because it's been one of those like, yeah, it's going to happen. And it never did. Just like Cowboy Bebop with um, yeah. Keanu Reeves. So At one point there was going to be a movie based on the cartoon Mask as well, which would have been awesome if done well. Yeah. Oh, my God, I love that cartoon. It was so good. What was the name of his uh his tiger? I can't think of it. All. Cringer. Cringer. Like that would actually look really good oh, yeah. now as well. And they could do it really well with a movie budget. Yeah. That's why I think that that's one of those movies that it didn't come out right yeah. because of what they did. Because they were going after a toy company that was making money versus a story that would have been good. Even then, I think most of its flaws were in choices they made before production. Mm-hmm. I think once once you know what the movie is... It does what it does pretty well. Yeah. But like, even like to as bad as a film is, like as far as the story goes, the Skeletor was amazing. Oh, yeah. It's one of the best villains in a bad Except movie. for the few times the lighting caught the inside of his nose. But other than that. Yeah, I know. But it, now the, you can fix that with a little CGI. Really <laughs> exactly. It, you do a little bit of Voldemort action mm-hmm. to that and you're good. But I don't know. That's why I think like that movie was, it was fun to watch as a kid, but I never wanted to watch it again. Because stuff about it didn't make sense. <laughs> uh, they 
it would just be so exciting to see this put back into into film because me as a kid I had a kid crush on Evil Lynn, <laughs> and I guess that's why I kind of like goth girls. Who knows? But you definitely want to see that again. You know, there's just so much in that movie that failed because of what it had. And I hate these remakes on good movies. And it's just, watch you remake a bad movie and make it good. Okay, I've got a couple for you speaking in those terms. Now that I think about it. There's a lot of like that. <laughs> Deathbed, The Bed That Eats. There is a fantastic idea in the middle of that movie. The movie is a boring, poorly made, minimalist, way too artistic piece of shit. But there's a really good concept in the center of it. Because, yeah. like, the guy talking in the painting and the people find this bed at random in the middle of nowhere and it just, it kills people. You know, it's fine. And what's the other one called? Beware Children at Play? If an actual writer remade it and put some context as to why the kids are joining this pagan kid out in the woods and that's why the parents kill everyone you'd have an amazing film yeah with like the kind of like ari aster midsummer kind of detail on the religion and stuff go into the pagan stuff show us why these parents feel they have to kill all their kids and you'd have a great horror film but as it is it's like mm-hmm. oh they're out with that kid in the woods let's up let's kill them all okay I mean, you do get a great sequence where they actually killed them all, which is weird in a horror film. But as it is, it's ugh, it's not that great. Yeah. Well, that's why there's too many movies out there that deserve something better. Right. And they remake good things instead. Yeah. And a lot of times it's just the production of the entire thing was halted by what was available at the time. Mm-hmm. Now these good things so so accessible. Like if you want to remake a movie, remake something people love, but it was so bad that people yeah. don't like it. Yeah. Well, Disney's remaking everything. Oh, God, don't start me. I, I, Dumbo's my favorite Disney film, hands down. The animated Forever one. and ever. Of course. Dumbo's so depressing. Yeah. It's such a sad movie. And then the live action one was just... Mm. I didn't watch it. I didn't want to. I saw it on the big screen. It had a few scenes that were like, okay, I see why you do this. This is good. And then overall, it was like, why did you put this plot onto Dumbo? Yeah. It didn't need a plot. The great thing about Dumbo is there is basically no plot. It's like he has to learn to fly and then be good. Okay. Yeah. It's a cute baby elephant Mm -hmm. that like has to make his way because he's on his own and he only has the mouse with him and that's it. And it's a perfect Disney film because you didn't need a lot. Like you had a star that didn't have to talk. Right. And it was captivating. So with everything else that was coming out at the time, they didn't have that. Snow White had to sing, yeah. etc. There's the, the, the Seven Dwarfs. That's what made the whole thing about the story. Sleeping Beauty, just sleeping. She's pretty. There's that prince. There's a dragon fight. Cinderella, the fairy godmother. This one, you just had a baby elephant with big ears, and that's all you needed. And some racist characters of birds. But, you know, well, yeah. but even yeah, then, they're, so they're actually interesting <laughs> characters. Yeah. They're literally right. black crows. <laughs> but yeah, and they weren't. I forget what the term is, but where they, it's like a super racist caricature of African Americans, you know, with the big lips, super dark. Like minstrel kind of oh, thing. Oh, um, Sambo. Yeah. Yeah. Sambo is incredibly racist caricature of black people. But for the crows, it wasn't horrible, yeah. but it was depicted. So it didn't give you this overwhelming influence that, oh, that's how black people are. No, they, you know what I mean? they feel like actual characters, the birds. Exactly. They're all stylized. Like they have their own character to them. They have their own look. They don't look all the same, which is an incredibly racist thing that some people do, yeah. especially when you look at a mugshot. But that's what I liked about it. It's just when you watch it as a kid and even as I grew up, sometimes you can really pull away and go like, 
it doesn't have to be a black person that's a crow. Right. right. And that's like the thing that I like about it. Like these guys just kind of root Dumble on and kind of teach him to be, in fact, they're like the good moral push. Well, but then you get an, another cinematic problem is they're basically magical Negroes. Yeah. Which you get in lots of movies. Yeah. But this also was made in the 60s. Right. <laughs> so, when it's okay. Yeah. But it's not overwhelmingly bad. Like, and I'm not, I'm not defending like the, the severity of it. It like a lot of it isn't right, but it's still not as horrible as it could have been. Right. In fact, like if, even if you made all the voices sound like white people and it was voiced by white people, it would still be the same tone. Probably. Yeah. So yeah, that one is like one of my favorites from like back then. And I just hated the, the remake. Didn't want to touch it. I actually own us an actual cell from the original from the film. Nice. Yeah where Dumbo's flying to his mom nice. at the end of the movie, where he's like about to land in her trunk. Yeah, I have that cell. It makes my heart cry every time looking at it because I love that film. So It's a good place to end. Yeah. So, Johan, one more time, where can the listeners hear you? You guys can find me on ID for Minute. It's a Movies by Minute podcast about Independence Day, and I co-host that with Alex and Matt. So he's not the wrong one. People make fun of the project, in this case, The Room. The Room Minute is a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. Follow The Room Minute on all the obvious social media. If you've got any stupid comments after the show, you can leave them in your pocket on Facebook. If you like what you hear, throw us a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. Thank you for listening. And remember, if a lot of people loved each other, the world would be a better place to live. Leave us!